when I was a kid, when I was a young Christian, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. I, um, I, I walked into church following some girls and, uh, and stayed. And somewhere along the line, I, I picked up this faith. And in this faith, I was taught what it was all about. So I thought. And at the time, it was all I knew. I, I knew nothing. And, and I walked into church and people started to say, this is what it's all about. The first church I walked into didn't say very much at all. They used to sing a lot. So instead of getting up and praying, they would get up and sing prayers and they would sing all sorts of stuff. It was really weird. And because I'm not a singer, I found it really, really awkward. But after that, I, I joined a youth group and that took me to another church and that led me into a whole bunch of stuff. And people started to tell me things about what this faith was all about. And one of the things that they told me that stuck with me for years and years and years, because I'm old, no, I'm not, was this, this little idea of, of where faith fitted into life and, and how to live our life with our faith. And they, they had this little diagram that went with it. Some of you will be familiar with this when I share it to you. And you'll go, yes, I remember that. As do I, obviously. And um, when I saw Alira out the front with dust in her eyes, I, I almost ran out at that point. Because today I want to talk about what happens when we get dust in our eyes, pretty much. <laughs> Just pinching the idea from you, though. What happens when... when we feel something on the inside that moves us to tears. And where does that sit with our faith? Because what I was taught when I was young and naive, very naive and very impressionable, was that there were three things and you had to get them in the right order. If you got them in the wrong order, you would end up in the wrong place. But if you got them in the right order, everything would work out just fine for you. The first thing was facts. The second thing was faith. And the third thing was feelings. Some of you will have heard that before, and you will have seen the little train diagram, which I have on my computer at home, and I was going to bring in, but, well, it just didn't happen, did it? So the little train, the engine, was facts. The next carriage along was faith, and the last carriage was feelings. And the way it was talked to me was that the only thing that was important was the engine, because that moved everything along. All you had to do was have the facts. And if you had the facts, everything would just work out for you because your faith was connected to the facts. And having your faith connected to the facts was what it was all about. And once you'd connected your faith to the facts, everything was straight ahead. And somewhere at the back was feelings. And, you know, they, they were inevitable, but they were also undesirable in the church that I went to. So if someone cried in our church, it wasn't a good thing. It was a bad thing. And if we felt that God was saying us something, that was just never good enough. We had to have the facts that made that real. And no matter how much we felt it, it just wasn't real without the facts. Now, the guy who came up with faith, uh, with facts, faith and feeling was a guy named F.B. Myers. I have no idea what the F.B. stands for. But it was 120 years ago, 130 years ago, that he came up with that. And I think he would have been appalled 
at what I was taught in this church when I was young and impressionable. I think that was the last thing he was thinking of when he said faith comes facts come first, faith follows that, and feelings go along. But by the time it got to me, it had been somewhat corrupted. I was curious, you know, I wonder if some other people have heard that too and thought, yeah, I sort of got that same feeling that facts was what it was all about and faith was, was something to do with facts and feeling just came along for the ride. I think feelings are very, very important. I think the way we feel has a lot to do with who we are and what we are. I think the way we feel is important to our faith. I think that as we understand how we feel about things, both joy and fear, terror and elation, that that will help us find out where God is in our lives, what we need him for, and what he actually offers us. So the little train... Now, some people would like to take the carriages and just put them in a different order. I just really want to derail the train altogether. I really don't like the train picture. If I had any three things, I'd take flour, salt and water. And I would mix those together. I would add a fourth ingredient, which is yeast. Which is that... that <laughs> which yeast is that magic thing that has a life to it itself and changes whatever it's mixed with. And out of flour, salt and water, you get bread. And you get a million kinds of bread. And I had a photo of that at home too, which is still sitting on my computer. I don't have it to share. It was this great photo of a bread shop. It was sort of looking through this glass window where you could see bread written on it. And behind it was just walls of bread, all different kinds of bread. And I thought... That's what it's all about. When, when facts and faith and feeling don't follow each other like a train, they, they don't get all organised and one drags along for the ride, but when, when they are mixed together, when they are brought together with something that brings them to life, that is what my faith is all about. That is, is what I hold on to. That is who I am and, and that is what I do. So... If you've got that old picture in your head of your train and you're thinking, eh, derail it, replace it with the thought of a loaf of bread. We will come back to bread. When Caro asked me to preach, she said, preach on something that, that follows on from Resurrection Sunday. Preach on... One of the, uh, the, the, the resurrection stories where people meet Jesus. And she said, you can pick whichever one. And I'm, I'm sitting there talking to her and thinking, which one would I like? Which one is the best one? Which one is the easiest one to preach on? And um, we, we talked about it a little bit and I ended up with The Road to Emmaus. It's probably a story that you are all familiar with. Yep. Tonight, I want to, uh, to read some of that story. I want to open up a few things to you, and I want to offer you some stuff of what you can do with it. The reason I like the story 
is that in a sense it's all about feelings. It's all about experiences that change us on the inside and make us feel stuff. And as we read it through, I want you to, to hear some of the feelings that are in there from some of the experiences that people have. And I want you to think about your own experience. And I want you to think about the, the feelings that have come up from within your own experience that have now become part of your faith. And I want you to examine some of those and maybe reframe them and see where we go from there. I'll read the story through for you in its entirety. And I've brought my big Bible tonight. My little Bible is about as big as my pocket. But I can't read it <laughs> unless I'm sitting down and there's very good light. But today, you know, I'm standing up and, well, here we go. have to set the scene first before we do that. It's, it's Resurrection Sunday. The, uh, the story is that the, the women, you know the story, the women had been to the tomb, they'd gone early because they had to finish the embalming of the body. They had to make right everything that wasn't yet complete. And having, thank you, I see that light. Having gone to the tomb, they discovered that the tomb is open. It's, it's empty and they are accosted by young men, I presume young men, dressed in white, who say, why are you looking for the dead amongst the living? He's not here. He told you that would be the case. And they go back to the disciples and they tell the disciples and the disciples go, what? What the? But Peter and a couple of the others apparently trot out the door and race to the tomb. We don't hear much more about that until a bit later on. But what happens is two people who are there at that gathering, so it's obviously in a larger place than an upper room. It's obviously in someone's courtyard or someone's house. Two of the people there who have been followers of Jesus. They have been people who have walked with him, talked with him, listened to him, ate with him, prayed with him, laughed and possibly cried with him and had hoped that he was the redemption of Israel. Their hope has been shattered. Nailed to a cross. Bled and broken crushed, taken down and buried in a borrowed tomb. What do they do with their hope now? Everything that they had staked their lives on for the last three years possibly had come to a brutal end. And they decide to go home. So I'm sure that others amongst that group did the same. So they walked out the door, they said their farewells, no one was happy, people were, were shocked, stunned. They didn't know what was going on, they didn't know what happened next. And these two guys head off home. Home happens to be a little place called Emmaus, which my Bible tells me is um, 11 kilometres from Jerusalem. So they had a fair walk. An hour and a half if they walk as fast as I do. A little quicker if they walk even faster. We don't even know where Emmaus was. It was such a small village. There's a number of places called Emmaus. None of them are 11 kilometres from Jerusalem. We're guessing. 
but they headed home to their little village to go back to their little lives. And they were broken people. They felt broken. I know there are people in this room who have felt broken. Your hopes have been shattered. Things that you had banked your life on have been taken away from you. Things that you you wanted desperately and that were good did not come to be. You know how they felt. All of us have felt some loss at some time. All of us have had hopes shattered, disappointments. All of us have, have felt that. Because all of us are human. And we all live in the same world, and it's a world of, of broken dreams and shattered promises. Nothing less than that. Sometimes more than that. We know what it feels like. So, now I read the story. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened there in the last days? What things, he asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe that what the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them uh, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village of Emmaus to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. He went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, and he appeared to Simon. 
Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It's a bit of a favorite story. I've been reading it for a week, pouring over it and thinking, what do I want to say about that? And I've got all these notes and, and part of me wants to read through them and part of me wants to throw it away and just, just see where we go from here. So, still deciding. There was two of them. And I think Luke is very careful to, to include that in his story. There was two of them. They were not disciples. They were not part of the twelve. They were just part of this, this group of people who followed Jesus. They were probably quiet people in the background who hadn't said much, but had been faithful in their own sort of position. And they were broken people. Their, their hearts were shattered. Their, their dreams had gone. Everything. They decided to go home. Two ordinary people, not all that different to you and I. These were not the special guys. These were not the hand-picked ones. These were the ones who just found themselves in Jesus' company and thought, this guy has something. I want what he's got. I want what he's giving. And, and they followed and of all the people in the story, it's these two that Luke tells us the story of. So these two people, not unlike us, head off home, broken-hearted and disappointed. And as they went, they talked to each other. They discussed what was happening. The thought that struck me as I was reading that was, they didn't discuss theology. They didn't talk about the spiritual stuff. They talked about how they felt. They talked about what was happening on the inside to them. I had hoped this. I thought this. I thought we were going to do this. I imagined this. And all these things became the the picture of the, the world that they were living in, a world that was now buried in a tomb, so they thought, back in Jerusalem. But they talked about it. They shared how they felt in this faith that they had in Jesus that had now been brought under the greatest question that you can ever imagine. They had hoped he would be the redeemer of Israel. And how could that be if he's dead? How could that come about? How could everything that they and their people had ever hoped for come to pass in Jesus if Jesus was now buried in a grave? It could not happen. They were joined by a stranger. If you are familiar with the Bible story in its entirety from start to finish, just have a think for a moment. How many times 
do strangers turn up in the story? People who are uninvited, unannounced and unknown. And they are the messengers of God. Often they are God amongst us. Uninvited, unrecognised. When God steps in to, to do something different, it is so often through the stranger. And here in the lives of these two guys, broken and shattered though they were, a stranger steps in. And he walks with them and they welcome him to walk with them. And he hears them talking, bits of it. And he says to them, what are, what are you talking about? And they don't know who it is. We're let in on the secret. Luke is giving us some special information that they didn't have. We know who it is that's walking with them. They didn't. And Luke is saying to us, what are you going to do with this privileged position you've got? You know something that they didn't know. You've got something that they didn't have. What are you going to do as you listen to this story? Because their story is our story. Where do you fit in this? And, and Luke invites us in. He says, come and join this story. Well, they said, haven't you heard what's happened? Are you the, you're the visitor to Jerusalem. Are you an out-of-town or are you a blow-in? Where did you come from? It's all about Jesus, a great prophet and man of God. And, and we have followed him. It doesn't say that, but we know that that's the case. Uh, and we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And now it's the third day. I always wondered what that sentence meant. Where does that fit? What's that about? And it occurs to me that they're saying, if God is in this, God doesn't appear to be acting. We thought Jesus was the messenger of God and he was killed. And we thought that somehow... God would respond to that. But so far, nothing. Nothing at all except this crazy story of some women. And the, the men went off to check and they came back and said there was nothing there but they couldn't find a body. Hopeless. And then Jesus says to them, I'll read it. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken. This is where the facts come in. The prophets had spoken. They had the prophets. And these were Jewish guys. They had been brought up on the prophets. In fact, it goes on to talk about the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets. And, and they were steeped in Moses and the prophets. They knew it inside out, back to front. They had the facts. But feelings trump facts. When they saw Jesus nailed to a cross, they, they couldn't put two and two together. They just couldn't get it. They couldn't see it. They didn't know. 
They, they couldn't read the prophets through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of what God was doing. They could not imagine it. If you'd have asked them any question about the prophets, they would have given you the factual answer because they knew it. But sometimes facts don't do us any good whatsoever outside of experience, outside of stuff that actually touches us on the inside, stuff that, that shifts us and changes us and makes us more who we are meant to be. The facts are good, they're there, but in and of themselves, they're no good at all. Sometimes when I listen to Christians talk about the hope they have in them, sometimes it's, I hope I get a car park when I go to Wollongong. I think, nah, that's not it. That's not what this faith is all about. Jesus is not here to give me a car park when I go to Wollongong. Sometimes I hear people say, yeah, I, I hope that I live a happy and full life with health and prosperity. And again, I think, nice thought, and it would be good, but that's not on offer either, really. In fact, if you listen to what Jesus promises, it's the opposite of that. And if we place our hope in, in you know, the happy and full life, what's that going to do for us? Not much. It just makes us like everyone else, except we've got God behind us. Sometimes I hear people say, my hope is that I'll go to heaven when I die. And again, I think that's not what it's about either. That's part of it, but it's not the game. The, the facts that we then interpret according to, to us and what we want are not going to do anything for us. But sometimes the facts as they play out and hurt us and, and, and question us and make us question, the facts that we have to go through because life is hard and God doesn't promise to rescue us from the difficulty. Some of that stuff is what life is all about. The facts of themselves are not going to take us anywhere until something changes us from the inside out. How slow and foolish you are to, to believe. That word there, believe, is it's a funny sort of word, and we've turned it into an absolute. You either believe or you don't believe. Yep, that's the way we work it, isn't it? You're either a believer or you're not a believer. There's no middle ground. The actual word talks about being persuaded. How slow you are to be persuaded. How slow you are to, to see the facts as they are lived out in front of you and let those facts and the prophets and the law and Moses and, and the psalm and everything that you've ever taken in, how slow you are to let that seep into your body and be persuaded that God is still in this, that God doesn't give up. And for me, I like that because, you know, Sundays, I believe. Mondays, sometimes not so. Sometimes something will happen to me on a Monday that will, will wobble my faith and I'll think, oh, how do I deal with that? But if it's not an in or out, 
or believe or don't believe, if it's how slow am I to be persuaded, then there's still hope for me. There really is. Because I've, I've been persuaded. And sometimes I get a bit dissuaded. And then I get persuaded again. And then I get dissuaded. And then I get persuaded again. And one day, I will get to that point where I am so persuaded that I won't be slow or foolish anymore. Well, maybe a bit foolish. It gives me hope to think that there is this process that is happening. It's not this one-off event that I have to, to, to step across the threshold and that's it. No, it's a journey. And these guys are on a journey with Jesus. And so Jesus takes these two guys and says, come on, guys, let me tell you. We'll start with Moses, we'll work through the Psalms, and we'll get to the prophets. And I will tell you everything that was meant to happen to the Christ. I tell you what, wouldn't you love to have that podcast on download? It's not there. I looked. <laughs> Lots of people have tried to put it there. But I don't think anyone quite gets it right in the way that Jesus would have from his Jesus perspective. Not going to happen there. So, as they walk for 11 kilometres, an hour and a half, it's about podcast time, isn't it? 50 minutes in the car, good trip. Jesus talks to them about Moses and the prophets and what they say. And eventually they get to Emmaus, probably a quicker trip than they thought in terms of, of how they experienced it. And they're about to go into the house and Jesus is about to keep walking and they say, no, wait, it's getting dark. You can't go on in the dark. The next town, you know, it's too far away. You'll turn up there after dark. You can't do that. Come and have hospitality with us. Come and join us at our place. Come and join us at our table. We've already recognised tonight the importance of tables and the value of tables. And so Jesus goes with them into the house. And they sit at the table. And, and they, have, they have gone out of their way to offer hospitality as was right and proper in their custom and in their culture. And Jesus, as was not right and proper in their custom and culture, took the bread on the table. And he picked it up and he broke it and gave thanks to God for it. And in that breaking of bread and in that thanking God, all of a sudden their eyes are opened and they see him for who he is. And then he disappears from their sight. I think it's amazing or, or ironic more that, that once they can see, he disappears. While they could see, while they, they, they didn't recognize him, he was there with them. But, but once they can see, he disappears. And then they whom we are just like, are left without Jesus again. But there is something happening to them. On the inside, something has caught fire. On the inside, something has changed. On the inside, something has trumped the facts. 
and given them a feeling, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked to us? And we didn't notice until we saw who he was. God comes to us so often in the form of the stranger, in the form of the one whom we, we don't recognize, we don't know, we, we don't understand. And when that happens, what do we do? Uh, for most of us, we have a fear of strangers. Uh, and we tend to you know, retreat a little bit, step back. For some of us, we're, we're a little more upfront, and we will we'll step up and we will talk to the stranger. We will talk to the person who is not like us. And Jesus says in Matthew's gospel that whatever you did for the least of these, whatever you did for the poor, the outcast, the blind, the lame, the homeless, the, the prisoner, you've done it for me. And again, all the way through the sweep of the Bible story, it's what people do to strangers that is that which they are judged by. Let me put it to you that we can still meet Jesus today. We might not recognize him. He will be there in the stranger. He will be there in the person who is not like us. He will be there in, in the poor, the lonely, the lost, the destitute, and others, but particularly amongst those who are at the bottom of the pile. If you want to fire something up inside you, if you want to feel the presence of God in this world and in your own life, if you want to be changed, I think one way we can do that is to go and engage with the stranger. Don't do it stupidly, because there are some weird people out there. <laughs> but appropriately, and, and with a measured risk, engage with people who are not like you. There's plenty of them around the place. Lots of them. And you know them, you know who they are. Sometimes you avoid them. Don't avoid them. Put yourself in their way. When they get in your way, greet them. Show hospitality. Invite them to your table, perhaps, whoever they are. And in inviting them in, in, in talking to them, not only are you doing something for them, but somehow, in the stranger, God will be present. Jesus will be present. And somewhere in the conversation, somewhere in the interaction, somewhere in that meeting, your heart will be fired up. You'll be changed. It will be something that, that will change you. Facts rarely change us. Experience changes us. We can be given all the facts and we can tick off all the boxes, but it doesn't make us different. But when we experience something like that, it makes a difference to who we are. It changes us from the inside out. And that's the change that lasts. That's the change that moves us to be more the people that God would have us be.
So as we finish up this afternoon, I just want you to, to mull over that, to think about that. Who are the strangers in my life? Who are the people that I meet? Where do I have the opportunity for that? If you're thinking, I've never had that opportunity, I invite you to walk around with your eyes open instead. Because it's an opportunity that presents itself to us every day. For me, I've lived a lot of my life entertaining strangers. And some of the weirdest people that I've ever met have been the people who have helped to shape me more than others. And I have truckloads of stories that I could tell, but this is not the day for that. What do we do now, Alira? We're going to play this by ear. We can. Do you? Now being on maternity leave, we do. Ah. So when you're walking with a baby in the tram, you always attract a lot of strange people. They do. I was talking to a stranger this morning at Prodigy Rock Pools. So, yeah, yeah sort of actually almost take that back. Well, no, I don't. I don't. I'll leave it in your capable hands. You can, you can finish this up. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I talk to strangers a lot. It's really good. It makes you go look around now and you're not so, the more you do it, you're not so um, scared of it. It's not so, yeah, you learn a lot about people that you don't know. So be encouraged by that with Brian. But um, I thought as he was saying and the whole feelings thing, which was good because I wasn't planning on um, getting dust in my eye earlier on, um, I thought maybe just at the end... um, like, just grab someone and get some prayer. We don't do that um, that often. And if you've got things that, um, yeah, in your life that you haven't had much hope for or um, you've been wanting or things don't go your way, you know, that's life, grab someone and get some prayer for it and, yeah, see what God can do for you. So, yeah, I'll leave that to you and... Have a great Sunday and enjoy the rest of your week, everyone.